this weekend. Join Vision CEO Phil Edwards for Sunday Morning Together. Each week, Phil is joined by pastors from across Australia as they minister to us all. Communion, conversation, encouragement and a smorgasbord of great songs help us focus on God's character and promises. Sunday Morning Together with Phil Edwards on Vision and on demand every Sunday in the free Vision Christian Media app. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. And talking to Nicole Partridge this hour, a highly regarded freelance journalist and writer whose feature stories have been published in newspapers and magazines in Australia and the USA, the UK and New Zealand. Nicole is not afraid to tackle the more challenging issues. Issues like human trafficking, domestic violence, child refugees and crime. Uh, Then on the lighter side, she's also a frequent writer of profile and lifestyle pieces too. She recently completed her work on the auto biography of well-known Australian missionary Irene Gleeson and she started work on a biography of Arthur Stace, Mr Eternity and she's joining us now. Hello Nicole, welcome along to 2020. Hi Neil, thank you for having me. Nicole, lovely to talk to you and you know it's great to talk to someone who loves to tell stories and uh, we're going to ask our listeners to be a part of our conversation too, uh, talking about telling big stories but also being the big story. You have a love of storytelling. Tell us all about your love of storytelling, Nicole. Oh, look, I just think I love, um, I, I think everybody has a story. Everybody has a backstory, and I find people, um, not just their stories, but I find people very interesting. In fact, whenever, you know, my husband and I go to a party or something, um, the two of us will be there asking the 20 questions. You know, I'll have a go, and then Scott will have a go, and not because we're trying to be nosy or judgmental, but we're both genuinely interested in what people have to say. And, I, you know, I really believe that every story is unique and it's compelling. And, you know, I've come across some amazing stories of God's grace. Um, and I've learned a lot along the way in writing other people's stories. That's interesting because when you and your husband are at a party mm. uh, and you're meeting new people and you say you ask the 20 questions, mm. uh, I, mean, the, I mean, some of us would be thinking, well, uh, you know, why are you being so nosy? But then we also might actually be... Uh, quite flattered by that because uh, you're not just talking about yourself you're actually interested in people because it's other people and uh, I guess you've found over the years when you're doing that at a party you've found people with amazing stories you've been able to write about yeah well look I don't think I've ever unearthed a story at a party that I've been able to write about but certainly just in my life journey you know I uh, wherever I go I I do end up asking people you know about their stories um, and yes, there have been occasions where, you know, articles have actually come as a result of a conversation that I've had with people. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love it. I just find everybody to be so unique and so different. And, uh, you know, we've, I can learn a lot from, from other people. And I think that we live in a world where people are fairly, um, you know, I've got two daughters who are very uh, distracted, I guess, by social media. And I would say that we live in a pretty narcissistic world right now. You know, everybody's kind of focused on themselves. And even when you get with other people, they do tend to talk a lot about themselves. And people do like to talk about themselves. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of fodder out there for a journalist. I can tell you that much. Uh, does a lot of it go unnoticed? Because I suspect uh, when you're saying that, you know, there are a lot of narcissistic people around, mm. but there are also a lot of people who are really uh, self-sacrificial and they do serve. So people who serve at the local soup kitchen or mm. 
delivering some food parcels to various people in communities, uh, people who go off on missionary journeys and things like that. I guess uh, there are some things in people's lives that actually set them apart and make them interesting. Those stories are interesting to tell. Oh, absolutely. And they're not the, the stories that you necessarily hear about every day. I think we're going to be quite surprised when we get to heaven. And uh, you see that the biggest crown has probably been given to the little old lady who was on her knees before God praying, you know, for her community for 30 years. You know, we, we often sort of hail the heroes as being the people who were sort of out the front. Uh, we hear a lot about sporting heroes and celebrities and that sort of thing. But, you know, the real, the real heroes are the people that you just mentioned, you know, those who are self-sacrificing. And, and that's why I've been loving working on the story of Arthur, St- Arthur Stace because before he began, you know, writing the word eternity um, or even during those years that he was writing that word eternity, you know, he was often serving amongst the homeless and serving at church and he worked for the Red Cross for a while. And, you know, these are, you know, facets of Arthur's life that we, we probably don't know that will come out in this book. But, um, yeah, just a, an incredibly self-sacrificing guy. We'll talk some more about Arthur Stace mm. very shortly. The book that has been published that you are co-author of, it's an autobiography and, of course, it's the a story of Irene Gleeson. Uh, and uh, when we mention the, the name of the title, it's The Heart of the Lioness. Mm. How can you just, uh, in a nutshell, give us a, a picture of Irene Gleeson as you talk about her in your book? Well, look, she was an Australian missionary. Um, She uh, had an an Australian mother and American father. Um, In 1992, she sold her beach home, said goodbye to her four kids, her six grandchildren to follow the call of God to northern Uganda. Um, She had a pretty dysfunctional background prior to going to Uganda. You know, she grew up in a dysfunctional home. She had sexual abuse in her background. She married young. She was in a loveless marriage, um, according to Irene. Uh, she made lots of mistakes along the way. She walked out on uh, on her children at, at one point. Uh, she went searching the globe looking for answers, you know, went, went and trekked the Himalayas and, you know, tried Eastern religions and all sorts of things to try and, I guess, make her peace with God. And then finally, at the age of, you know, 37, she walked into a beachside church, gave her heart to Christ, um, prayed for her family, who'd all... Uh, by this stage had gone off the rails, prayed for her family uh, to come back to God, which they all did. And then Irene simply put her hands in the air and said, God, what can I do for you? Um, She had since remarried. And so uh, God said to Irene, well, I I want you to go and and rescue children in northern Uganda. So her and her second husband um, left everything behind, towed a caravan, you know, 13,000 kilometres to Kitgum, which was an isolated community on the Sudan border that was being besieged by Joseph Coney and the LRA, and you probably heard some of the atrocities that went on during that, that time. And they literally just fought, they were obedient to the call of God. They parked the caravan under a mango tree. The government gave them some land, and they just started, you know, uh, teaching the kids to read and write by scratching letters in the dust. She taught all the kids in the community um, songs like Jesus Loves You, This I Know, um, they uh, were financing their ministry just from the uh, the profits that they'd made from the sale of their beach homes in Sydney. Um, her husband was working hard alongside her. But after about three years um, that they'd been in northern Uganda, um, there were problems, there were cracks in their marriage, and their marriage sadly fell apart. And uh, he ended up coming back to Australia, and Irene was left in Uganda. And for 20 years, in the middle of a war zone, this plucky Australian woman who had no connection you know, she had, there was no communication. She couldn't talk to her family. 
she was working alongside the locals. She didn't speak the language. Um, she suffered several bouts of malaria and depression and all sorts of things, but she carved out this incredible ministry, um, called, which is now called the Irene Gleeson Foundation. And sadly, Irene went to be with the Lord in 2012, but her legacy remains and, you know, six primary schools, an AIDS hospice, a vocational training centre, a radio station broadcasting over to, a, over, to over a million people. Um, and just before she died, she was in the throes of uh, starting to build a women's hospital. And, you know, just an incredible legacy for a woman who was just simply faithful to the call of God on her life. And Nicole, uh, Irene could well have died and her story may well have died with her. When did you make contact and uh, when did you realise that, you know what, this story needs to be told? I'm going to help you write your autobiography. Yeah. Um, Well, back in 2009, I was um, commissioned. At this stage, I'd been writing for uh, a number of Christian magazines in Australia and I got a phone call one day just out of the blue from a friend of mine who I had done some work with and he was the uh, Australian correspondent, if you like. Sounds like a fancy title, but he was the Australian correspondent for this magazine called Charisma in the US and um, I just remember the call so vividly. I was out the back and I was kind of, you know, I had the phone, you know, to my ear and I was kind of juggling that and hanging the washing and he said, Nicole, I've been asked to write um, the story of a lady, a missionary by the name of Irene Gleeson and I can't do it. I'm just wondering if you would be interested. And, you know, I didn't know anything about Irene. So I did what every good journalist does. I Googled her and found out what I could and then trekked over to her daughter's house um, where she was living at the time. She was back on, on sort of sabbatical and uh, I spent four hours with Irene and just heard her incredible story, you know, and, um, you know, attacks by rebels. I mean, all the sorts of things that you think this is not possible for one woman to have gone through everything that she went through and still be standing and still be there to tell a story. And so I, I knew she had an incredible story, and so I wrote about her for Charisma magazine, and then we became good friends, and every time Irene would come back to Australia, she'd... Uh, she'd come to our house and have roast chicken dinner because that's what she missed in Africa. <laughs> so she'd sit at our kitchen table and, you know, my kids would be sitting there wide-eyed listening to all of her amazing stories from Africa. And it was just a Saturday where she came to our house one Saturday. It was a hot summer's day. We were sitting out the back, dangling our feet in the pool. And I said, Irene, you've got to write your story. You have to write your story. Um, and she'd already written about 60,000 words of her story. Uh, which was incredible. She had been writing her story for about 10 years in Africa, in her caravan, under the flickering light of a paraffin lamp. Um, But, of course, she she had no contacts in the publishing industry and she didn't really know which way to go with it. And uh, I had some connection with a publishing house. Um, And so, you know, I introduced her to a few people and Irene and I started working on, on her book together. Um, and we butted heads a lot. She had a particular way that she wanted to write the book and I kind of thought it needed to be approached a little bit differently. And um, But in the end, you know, I think we, we had a great working relationship and uh, she, sadly she, um, she was diagnosed with esophageal and pancreatic cancer and as we were working on this book, she just continued to sort of get weaker and weaker and, and really it got to the stage where the baton had to be passed and she passed away and I finished the book for her uh, and now we have Heart of a Lioness which you know I, I'm so proud of because it really is a story of 
God's grace through the hands of this one woman. It's Neil with you on 2020, Nicole Partridge, journalist and author and co-author of the autobiography of well-known Australian missionary Irene Gleeson called Heart of the Lioness. And Nicole is with us. Nicole, let's continue our conversation just around what happened with Irene Gleeson because, as you mentioned, Irene died in 2012. At this point, the book wasn't yet finished. Is that the case? Yeah, it wasn't yet finished. Yeah, so we. Um, so you took this the you took this the extra mile, and you decided that you would go to Africa to the nation yes. of Uganda, and yes. you would actually walk in her in her uh, footsteps. Yeah, I uh, I felt that I needed to go and experience what Irene had experienced. Well, in part, what she'd experienced. You know, those uh, all those years in Uganda. Um, and so it was October, um, October last year or the year before, I can't even remember. Now I'm having a senior moment. I'm not even senior. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I travelled to Uganda and uh, caught the same bus that Irene got on sort of, you know, every week or so when she'd head down to Kampahala to the city. Um, Ten-hour bus trip. Uh, the bus broke down, of course, and so I experienced exactly what she wrote about in her book, uh, and that was everybody piling out of the bus um, and waiting for the bus to be fixed. It got caught in a ditch. Um, in fact, I was telling my family the other day that one of the funny moments in all of that was that I desperately needed to go to the toilet, and so I kind of trekked through the scrub and squatted. And then when I rose again, there was just this uh, very curious group of African people standing at their mud huts watching me, thinking it must have looked very odd, this, you know, Mzungu, white girl, you know, a white woman in the bushes doing her business. But... Um, yeah, so I, I, I spent about 10 days at her project site and, uh, you know, she had some guest quarters there um, and so I stayed in a tiny little bedroom, um, narrow concrete room um, with a leathery-looking Ugandan guard stationed outside my, uh, outside my window cradling an AK-47. And so I couldn't help, while I was there, I just couldn't help to, to reflect on, you know, all of those stories she told in her book you know, about her being attacked by rebels, um, you know, in the middle of the night. And although the rebels had long gone, you know, you, you can't help but relive a lot of that. So, you know, I remember I, I wrote actually about it, you know, a while back and said something along the lines of, with eyes wide open and heart pounding, I listened to every noise, clanging metal, goats bleating and drums beating. Um, and, you know, recapturing, I guess, in my mind, every every little detail. I ate what she ate while I was there. You know, Irene... Um, you know, she wasn't eating steak and chips. She was eating beans and she was eating rice and she was eating whatever the locals were eating. Um, I, you know, endured for the week that I was there or the 10 days that, they were, that I was there, the frustrations of not always having electricity, um, not having hot and cold running water. In fact, at one point, there was really no water. So we'd, we'd have to go, well, we'd have to go and get our water and bring it in and flush our own toilets and, you know, um, have a bath in a bucket and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, it, this was only 10 days. And I was thinking, how on earth did this woman do this for so many years? It was incredible. And some things you wouldn't want to experience, like the recurring bouts of malaria, which yeah. is what Irene suffered. Absolutely. Yeah, she, she got sick quite, quite often while she was there. Um, she had skin cancers. You know, she got typhoid. Um, she struggled with other things, you know, she, after her husband left her, and this is part of the story, is that, you know, her husband left her alone in Africa and she struggled with depression for quite a while. Um, she had a devastating staff coup, so after her husband had left, the staff weren't happy about a woman being in charge and they all walked out on her. 
And so that was just, you, you know, you could imagine you've gone with all good intentions to, you know, help rescue these children, the, the children of the people who are working with you. And, uh, you know, and, and this happens, and it was just such a devastating blow for her. Um, and then, of course, as I've mentioned before, she was attacked by rebels numerous times. Um, in fact, I guess um, there's one particular story in her book. Um, can, I, can I sort of tell you a little bit sure. about this story? Yeah. Um, it's about halfway in the book, and Irene is complaining to God about being 50 and alone in Africa, surrounded by rebels in need, and that's when God gave her a scripture from the Song of Solomon, and the scripture was, My beloved is mine, and I am his, and his banner over me is love. And she wrote this in fluorescent chalk above her bed, and the following weekend, after she'd written this, a, a band of rebels was terrorizing the district, and they turned up at her caravan, brandishing machetes and AK-47 and uh, AK-47s. And she described it as like a scene from a Rambo movie. You know, they ripped the door off its hinges, crowded into her little caravan, and demanded money. And you know, she closed her eyes, and she just thought she was dead. And then she felt the Holy Spirit say to her, "Look up." And above her head were the words, My beloved is mine and I am his. And she jumped up and she pointed at the men and she screamed, If you touch me, God's going to get you. And it's interesting, she said that, you know, they all jumped back as, as though they'd been hit by a blowtorch and took off into the night with her video camera. But a few days later, they tried to sell the video camera. And when the buyer switched it on, there's Irene and all the kids singing Jesus Loves You, This I Know on the screen. And he reported this. The thugs were arrested. And Irene said she learned in that moment just how wonderful the protection of God is. And so, you know, even in my 10 days, my brief encounter, you know, in Africa, I really had to put the word of God to the test, you know, and, uh, and, and just ask God to keep me safe, which he did. Now, Irene went on to found uh, the Irene Gleason Foundation mm -hmm. and uh, five primary schools, uh, daycare for 8,000 children. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, education, daily meals, clean water, yeah. medicines, uh, all of these things. Uh, these were a legacy that she left, uh, you know, suffering the hardships. Uh, what good came out of that continues on, the Irene yeah. Gleason Foundation. Oh, absolutely. And they have some amazing people who are now running the organisation. John Paul... Um, who's her sort of administrator, was her administrator um, and right-hand man. He's a, um, a native of Uganda and he's just doing a superb job. Another young man, actually, that Irene met when she was in the U.S., he's a graduate of Princeton University, very smart guy, and he's helping to run the organisation. So, you know, it's in really good hands and it's been going from strength to strength. Um, and so I think that is testament, really, isn't it, that it's God's, it wasn't just Irene's work, it was God's work, and God is continuing to bless her ministry. And we didn't mention the vocational training centre catering for 1,500 students, a 60-bed mm. AIDS hospice, yeah. a community church, a radio station broadcasting to more than a million people, and a child sponsorship program uh, with 2,300 sponsors. It yeah. is a significant legacy. It's now, an amazing legacy. And, and you know what? Uh, just recently, you know, the government has been calling on a, um, for an Irene Gleason Day, so an official day where the country recognises the efforts of this you know, a courageous woman. Um, and uh, they did have a function recently and gave President Museveni a, um, you know, a big plaque with a picture of Irene and the kids and actually gave him a copy of Heart of a Lioness. So we need to be praying that he reads this um, because, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. The doors that have opened for Irene have been amazing.
And of course, you were there and you completed the book. Uh, yeah. With what you experienced while you were there in Uganda, how much did that contribute to just being able to fill in the gaps, to be able to, I guess, embellish some of the details to the point where uh, you were able to more deeply understand the things that she was sharing uh, as she'd written her part of the book? And I guess, uh, did you write like the final chapters? Is that the way it worked? Well, look, I think um, there's probably, you know, that my writing has been woven throughout the book. Um, and so when we started with the manuscript, um, and, and she would say this herself, that, you know, it, it still needed a bit of tweaking and a bit of work. And so, you know, I kind of massaged each chapter and added in some colour and life and some detail around the things that Irene hadn't, hadn't yet done. Um, and then, yes, I, I perhaps worked on the last chapters because, um, you know, Irene had passed away and we needed to finish the book. And so I actually, a lot of the material came from her newsletters. Irene was amazing at, you know, keeping in contact with her supporters. And so I was able to get a lot of extra stories from the newsletters. I got a lot of extra stories. Oh, this is where it was handy being a journalist. I got a lot of extra stories from um, friends of hers, from family, great family members um, her two daughters gave me a whole lot of information and between us all we were able to sort of piece the story together and complete it and um, you know I'm, I'm just hoping that that anyone that reads Heart of a Lioness um, won't necessarily differentiate Irene's writing and mine I think Irene was a great writer and she taught me how to write really and and really what the experience that I've gained from working on Irene's book is, is now helping me with Arthur's book. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. We're talking about telling big stories and we're talking about being the big story today on 2020. Nicole Partridge, our guest, we've been talking about her contribution in the autobiography of the well-known Australian missionary Irene Gleeson called Heart of the Lioness. Well, a new project that Nicole is working on is a biography of the eternity man Arthur Stace. Uh, so, Nicole, when we talk about Arthur Stace, what a great legend. And uh, everyone will remember uh, the turn of the millennium. Uh, the word eternity on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, uh, the fireworks d- demonstration at uh, at uh, the turn of the uh, century, turn of the millennium, a very, yeah. very exciting time and certainly uh, established Arthur Stace in some sense as a really historical figure. Not that he wasn't already an historical figure as, as it was, but certainly that recognition there on the turn of the millennium was very, yeah. very significant. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I I, uh, I I can remember actually standing. I don't. I think I just had my first child, and I remember standing um, somewhere near the CBD and and seeing this word um, emblazoned over the Harbour Bridge. And I didn't grow up in Sydney, so I didn't really know the significance of it. And I asked them what it meant, and and they said, "Oh, yeah, that was the the homeless guy that that wrote the word eternity on the streets of Sydney." Um, and I, I actually didn't at the time even think that in, you know, in my wildest dreams that I would ever be involved in a project like that, uh, working with a, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Meyer, who um, for you know, 10 plus years had been collecting information on Arthur and she herself knew Arthur personally. Her parents were the, uh, the pastors of Burton Street Baptist Church where Arthur went and she had promised her mum that she would write this book. And so Elizabeth and I are working together on his autobiography um, which we are hoping will be released 
pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these things, I guess there's a lot of details to cover before you can actually have your book published. And as you say, this one's a collaborative effort again. Yes. But uh, but what have, you, what have you gleaned about Arthur Stace that is the most outstanding thing for you? What's so special about this guy who was 50 times a day mm. writing uh, eternity on pavements and walls throughout Sydney? I think that has to be the most outstanding thing about his story. The fact that here's a man, you know, with a very dysfunctional background. You know, we, we've discovered that he was uh, in foster care for most of his life. Um, he was an alcoholic. He was, you know, um, he was a homeless guy at one point. Um, he had a conversion to Christ. You know, he did a lot of volunteer work. He worked for the church. He worked for the Red Cross. Um, but really his calling in life, or, or what he felt was his calling in life, was to take that piece of chalk and write that word eternity wherever God told him to write it. And so, you know, the story goes that he would wake up, you know, sort of every morning at four o'clock in the morning and have his cup of tea. When he got married later on in life to his wife Pearl, he'd kiss his wife Pearl goodbye and head out onto the streets and literally be prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and write this word. And, you know, it's interesting, I've, I've had conversations with people who will remember seeing that word eternity on the streets of Sydney. But, you know, rain, hail or shine, this man never, ever faltered. And, you know, when he passed away, I, I think he had something like $77 in his bank account and, you know, didn't own property necessarily. He was given a house at one point but didn't really own anything. But yet, you know, um, was like Irene, was completely obedient to what God had called him to do. And an incredible story. And I can't give you too much because it's all going to be in the book and it's all going to be, you know, uh, information that most people won't know about Arthur. Well, the idea of wetting the appetite is actually very good. Uh, there was. Let me just ask you about. Uh, at one stage, there he tried to change writing eternity and uh, decided to write something else in its place. Uh, went back to eternity. What was? What was he? What else was he trying to write? He uh, yes. Now that is a good question, and I'll have to get back to you on that one because I'm working chapter by chapter. Okay. Now let me let me tell you what you uh, what I'm aware of. Yes. Uh, he tried uh, writing obey God. That's right. Yes, he did. And uh, and I guess uh, that wasn't quite as as uh, I don't know. The flair wasn't there, or something yes. something about that. But he went back to writing eternity. That's right, exactly, because that was the word that God had given him. Um, and I thought what was really funny about Arthur's story that I did I did learn in the process. And of course, I know all these things, Neil. You, you it's just I, I you know I'm, my headspace is in early Arthur years right now. Caught you off guard um, there. It's all right. <laughs> Uh, but one of the things that I found really funny is that there was some guy who was following him for some time and he'd actually put an M in front of the eternity and make it maternity. Um, and then, of course, when the, uh, the the Sydney papers were trying to find out who this mystery man was, there were several people who came forward, but ultimately it was uh, Elizabeth Meyer's father, who was the pastor of Burton Street Baptist Church, that caught Arthur in the act and said, Arthur, are you Mr. Eternity? And, uh, and Arthur apparently said yes guilty as charged and you know and then that's when his story you know people actually met the real Arthur Stace and uh, and heard more about his story but yeah just an incredible as I said an incredible story of um, God's grace you know that he recovered from this really awful dysfunctional past and uh, to go on and and uh, be obedient to God and, and leave this tremendous legacy as did Irene and uh, both not young when they started their ministry and so I think that that would be my um, encouragement to anyone listening is that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what your story has looked like up until now, 
it's really never too late to rewrite the final chapters of your life. And my thing is that I, you know, I think it, once you're engrafted into God's story, your story just takes on a whole new meaning. Let's just stay with Arthur Stace uh, for a moment and yep. writing using chalk and uh, writing the word eternity. And one of the things that I found fascinating uh, in some of the detail is that he was using waterproof chalk. Yes. Now, when I think of chalk, I think of, oh, well, you know, you've written that on the pavement, on yeah. the footpath, and uh, next rain shower, it's gone. But yes. but actually, waterproof chalk uh, can last for a long time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think that was, uh, again, I, I'm sure that was divinely inspired, wasn't it? You know, that, that he did that and that, as I said, so many people that I've spoken to um, over the course of the, the project, this project that I've been working on, have said, you know, I remember seeing her. In fact, I spoke with a, a guy recently and, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, I remember going down to the corner store with my mates and I actually saw Arthur doing this. You know, I, I caught him in the act. Um, but, yeah, just an amazing, an amazing story, an amazing legacy. And I think people will find the book really, really interesting and hopefully very inspiring. We will be looking forward to it. Let's come back to this idea that the final chapters of our lives are not yet written and there are some things we might do with our own lives uh, and we might even make that decision having heard this conversation. That would be exciting, wouldn't it, if if, if uh, listeners to the conversation said, well, uh, I'm not sure whether my life story is all that exciting, but mm. I've still got some chapters yet to write. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, Benjamin Franklin said, you know, either, you know, write the story of someone who's done something notable or be the story, you know, and I think that um, for me personally, you know, I've never felt that my own personal story was all that notable, but I love writing about other people's stories. But I, I would definitely, as I said before, encourage your listeners that, you know, no matter how dramatic, sad, heartbreaking, you know, the story of their life has been up to now, it is really never too too late. And that I, you know, I personally believe that, God has a plan and a purpose for everyone's life and that, you know, nobody arrived here by accident. It was all part of God's divine plan. And, you know, I always, Neil, I always ask myself this question. If I was watching the story of my life being played out on the big screen, what do I want the ending to look like? And what do I need to do now in order to see the ending that I want to see? And so the choice is, I mean, obviously there, there are circumstances, things that happen to you along the way that you can't change. Um, but you can change your response to that. And, and certainly my encouragement is that when you engraft yourself into God's story, um, then anything is possible. You know, Nicole, I'm sure that uh, there are people listening to us thinking, well, maybe my story might never be published in a book uh, in a big way. And, you know, maybe millions of readers around the world will look at it. But, but there is a sense, isn't there, that writing down your family story and your own story is a, a, an impressive and important part of your own family heritage. I yeah. guess if you've got stories to tell, uh, what would you say? Would you encourage people to get your own story and get it into the hands of family members so it can be part? down to new generations absolutely we have a, a neighbor of ours who's probably in his 90s and he has written his whole life story and i guess he's left it for the next generation he's got gosh i don't know how many grandkids he's got 30 30 or so grandkids or whatever and it's this massive thick you know chronology of his life and and it's amazing really and and really from the beginning of his life right through to the end and um Fascinating, fascinating for, for even people who don't, who are not part of the family. But I would encourage your listeners to write down. I think there's something very cathartic when you start to write your own story down and you don't need to be a writer to do that. 
um, I think there's something very healing, you know, when you write. And I think that's what happened with Irene. She really started to write her story in Africa when she was going through her darkest times. That's when she would start to write her story down. And that's when actually reading it back to herself, she would see God's hand of grace and his deliverance in all those moments. So something cathartic, and uh, I guess if you write out of an attitude of humility, because I guess you know some people might say, "Oh, well, that's you know great uncle such and such who's uh, he was a real egotistical person writing uh, all sorts of things and, and rewriting history." You, mm. I guess you don't want to be doing that, but but certainly there are a lot of people who have some amazing stories to tell. Yeah, and uh, I guess having the right heart, the right attitude, the right motive to be able to get those things uh, on paper. Uh, or onto a computer uh, is a really, really powerful thing. Absolutely. And look, I, I know that there are, you know, publishing companies and even, you know, Hollywood now is looking for those inspiring stories. So, you know, if there's someone listening that has an inspiring story, well, you know, um, uh, look, I, I can only direct them to the place that I went to, you know, when I started working on Irene's story. I mean, Kurong um, have a publishing arm and they're always looking for amazing stories. Um, I'm always looking for amazing stories, so you can you can also contact me via my website and uh, nicole.partridge at bigpond.com and just, you know, I'd be happy to, to help whoever it is that feels like they've got a story to tell. I'd be happy to help them get it out there. I guess one of the big challenges is if, if you know the story uh, and you can get something on paper or onto your computer screen, just mm. knowing those next steps to take. Uh, when you get to know the publishing industry, I guess that does take uh, others who've been there and done that before you. Uh, I guess offering some good advice is, uh, is a, a very good way forward. Yeah, look, I'm more than happy. In fact, a lot of, you know, having worked for um, secular magazines, Christian magazines, newspapers and now books, and, and having a few connections there, I'm more than happy to, you know, direct people or steer people in the right direction, if you like, if they, if they have something that they feel compelled that they want to write. Maybe, look, I'm sure there's people listening that have had it in their heart to write a book for years and years and just haven't had the courage to do that. And I would just say, start writing just every day. Just, just start writing down your story. Um, you know, one good, good step for someone who perhaps, you know, has a book in them is just to start blogging, for instance or journaling or, you know, just just as the, the story comes back to them in bits and pieces because, you know, I don't think you need to be writing your life story from beginning to end um, with a whole lot of clarity. I think you just, as, as the stories come back to you, you just need to be writing them down. Um, and then, as I said, I'm more than happy to, to help steer people in the right direction. The website is www.nicolepartridge.com. Nicole Partridge, uh, author and journalist. We've been talking about uh, the book that she co-wrote, the autobiography of Irene Gleason, Heart of the Lioness. And uh, we're all going to be keeping our eyes open for the new biography, which she's collaborating in an effort there uh, about the Eternity Man, Arthur Stace. Thanks for being with us today on 2020, Nicole. Thanks, Neil. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.